0: You know, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day is filled with so much joy, right? There's so many things to be joyful about. And, and all the time, Christmas is filled with joy. But some years, it's easier to feel that joy than others. I think about just three years ago when we were still kind of under COVID and we were making reservations to come to church on Christmas Eve. Do you remember that? And wearing masks and so forth. I also think way back way back to 1943, right in the throes of World War II, can you imagine what it must have been like to try and celebrate Christmas in the midst of that war? Because from the front lines in Europe all the way to Asia, and even in the weapons factories here in the United States that were busy turning out weapons to win this important war, Americans must have felt a weight that was unimaginable, but critically important. Millions of Americans were facing the realities that their loved ones would not be home for Christmas that year. Maybe not that year, and maybe they'd never be home for Christmas again. So how would Americans celebrate Christmas during this terrible time? In the midst of all this, Bing Crosby, recorded a song that we all know and that we all love and sing every year, I'll be home for Christmas. It's written like a letter to a person who was planning to be home for Christmas, and he asked them to get everything ready, to prepare everything, the snow and the mistletoe and the presents by the tree. And the song builds up to the big moment on Christmas Eve take a look at this and you can even sing along if you want this And there it is. You guys sound good, by the way. (laughs) If only in my dreams. You see, the tough reality of 1943 was that many soldiers would be home for Christmas only in their dreams. And for those soldiers and their loved ones, it was obvious that it was going to be very different, a very different time at home. And they were all dreaming of being home. You know, I think the concept of home is one of the most beautiful concepts there is. The warmth, the joy, the comfort, having family around. Think about how you feel when you've had a rough day at work and you get home and, and your family's there to greet you and, and there's an easy chair to sit down and relax in. Or think about home when your family all gathers around for those important traditions like Thanksgiving and Christmas and and Easter and those kinds of things. Think about home when you've got one of those rare, rare weekends with nothing on the calendar. You don't even have to get out of your jammies. You can just sit and relax and watch Christmas movies all day long. Well, homes were kind of different places in Jesus' day. Today, our homes are kind of like um, where our nuclear family um, comes together, right? But in Jesus' day, um, whole families lived together. In, in Bible times, when, when a young man became of marrying age and he proposed to the young woman of his dreams and they became engaged, the man would return home to his father's house and he would make... A room for his new family, for his bride, and for the family that would come if they would be blessed with children someday. Extended families lived together. Parents, siblings, sisters, brothers, cousins, all together under one roof. They worked together. They played together. They did all of life together. Family relationships were strong. They were important. And that kind of thing reminds me about big family gatherings that we have today, like at Christmas time. You see, the concept of home just feels good to think about because I think it usually reminds us of, of something cozy, of something warm, at least in the ideal sense of, of what home is. I know not every home is ideal. There are some homes that are less than ideal. I think home is what we make it to be. So in this message series, talking about God with us, we're talking about some of the key themes of Christmas. We're talking about how God did something incredible that first Christmas when he came down from heaven to earth. And he was 100% divine, and at the same time, 100% human. During this time, Jesus walked the earth with his disciples. He was friends with them. They did things together. He preached. He he preached incredible sermons. They they healed the sick. They, They cast out demons. They initiated the kingdom of God, saying, it is nearer than you can even imagine. Jesus brought the kingdom of heaven right here to earth. It must have been an incredible time to be alive, to be walking with Jesus. Can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine what it was like to look into Jesus' eyes and see him looking back into yours? Can you imagine hearing his voice live and in person, having him laugh at your jokes, uh, breaking bread uh, with him at the table, sharing meals together? I know it's not right to kind of... um, To covet, the Bible says that we're not supposed to do that. But it makes me long. It makes me long for that closeness with the Lord. One night, though, when Jesus was gathered with his disciples, celebrating the Passover with them, he gave them what must have been devastating news. John 13, verse 33. He said to them, Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. As I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. Imagine how that must have made the disciples feel. Remember, they didn't know the end of the story yet like we do. We have the, um, the benefit of hindsight to know that Jesus would go to the cross, that he would die, that he'd be buried and, and dead for three days, but rise again and be with us. They did not know that. They loved Jesus. Being with Jesus. They loved the time they spent, and here he is telling them he's not going to be with them much longer. But then in the very next chapter, he gave them some incredible news John 14, 16, and 17. He says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because. It isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Isn't that amazing? He lives with you now and later will be in you. Like we said, Jesus was going to die, rise from the dead and ascend into heaven and then in just a few weeks' time, the day of Pentecost would arrive, and Jesus, as he promised, sent the Holy Spirit to live inside every follower of Jesus. Now, the Holy Spirit wasn't created. He's Eternal, everlasting with the Father. There are some instances in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit is present, hovering over the face of the deep, um, empowering some of the judges like Samson to do their work, or coming a al- uh, raising to life some of the bones in the Valley of the Dead Bones in Ezekiel. So this wasn't the first time, but this was going to be different. The Holy Spirit was going to be in, inside every believer. God with us, not just in the form of a human being who can walk with us and talk with us, but literally living inside of you. It was true that day of Pentecost, and it is true today. The body of a Christian believer is the home of God. Did you hear that? The body of a Christian believer is the home, the dwelling place of God. 1 Corinthians 6 19 says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, you are physically closer to God today than the disciples were when they walked with Jesus. They walked with him, but when you became a Christian, God chose to live inside of you. Now you might be sitting there thinking today, saying, okay, wait a minute. I know what Jesus said, but it doesn't feel like it's true. I'd rather sit across the table with him, have a conversation with him, look into his eyes, have a meal with him, than than try and get my head around, wrap my brain around this mystical, confusing idea of God inside of me. What does that even mean? I want to use an extended illustration in today's message to help us understand the power of the truth that God makes his home in our hearts when we say yes to Jesus. Back in 1954, an author and a pastor by the name of Robert Munger wrote an incredible booklet that was based on a sermon that he had preached called My Heart, Christ's home you can still find this book today which tells you the impact that it made then and is making now to still be around 70 years later this is a great illustration of Paul's words in Ephesians 314 to 19 where he says when I think of all this I fall to my knees and pray to the father the creator of everything in heaven and on earth I pray that from his glorious, unlimited riches, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So what does it mean that Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust him? You see, when you become a Christian, Munger, imagine that it is like you are welcoming Jesus into your heart, very much like you would welcome a guest into your home. You invite Jesus in, and it's a wonderful thing because, you see, Jesus isn't your average house guest. He doesn't just come in and eat up all your food and, and mess up all your house and watch TV and mess up your place. In other words, Jesus is not Cousin Eddie, thanks be to God, right? I mean, that's good news, amen? I mean, Cousin Eddie is hilarious in movies, but who really wants him in real life, in your home? No, but in all seriousness, Jesus comes into your life and he brings light into the darkness. He brings peace into those anxious places he brings joy into our sadness he brings hope into our pain do you remember what it was like when you first said jesus i want my heart to be yours or when you began to get serious about your faith i hope you've made that choice already in your life and if you have, you know what a blessing it is, what a, what a change Jesus has brought when, that, when you invited him into the front door. Throughout this rest of this message today, we're going to be talking about inviting Jesus in, and at the end of this message, we'll have an opportunity to, to do that. If you've never done it before, it's the best decision you can ever make in your life to invite Jesus into your heart and make him the Lord of your life. And if you have, then you know that this is a lifelong journey of continuing to be made more and more into the likeness of the Lord. John Wesley also used the illustration of a house to describe the stages of growing in grace in Jesus. Wesley described provenient grace like the porch, like the front porch of a house. It's where we prepare to to go into a house, isn't it? But we know that there's so much more to the house, to any house, than just the front porch we have to invite Jesus inside, into our house, to begin our journey with Jesus. You see, crossing the threshold of the front door from the porch to inside the house, Wesley compared that to justifying grace. Wesley considered justification or justifying grace as the doorway into the house of God's salvation. It is there that God reconciles us to himself, and he adopts us into the life death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is there that he bestows upon us our identity as beloved sons and daughters and incorporates us into the body of Christ, the church. Now imagine inviting Jesus into your home. And imagine yourself showing Jesus around your home, in every room, showing him around the place that you dwell, your house, your body. I want to start off with the home office because that's a really important place in most people's homes. It's kind of like the control room of our house, isn't it? The business of life flows through the home office. It's like we make important decisions about uh, our work. Maybe we work from home. We make decisions maybe about what Healthcare should be, or we pay our bills from there. Our finances are all housed there. If you showed Jesus around your home office, what would he see? What would be the important things? What would he admire and smile at? What might cause him to raise his eyebrows or turn away? Because if you're like most of us, we all have some things that we're proud of and some things that we're not. What if you left your bank account open? Would Jesus be happy with what he saw? What if you left your internet browser history up on your screen? Would he be pleased with that? Maybe there are some business transactions that would make him smile or some that would make him not so happy. Can you imagine yourself looking at Jesus and say, Jesus, if there's anything that's not pleasing to you, would you, help me, would you help me clean it up? Because there's a few things that I could really use your help with. Can you imagine Jesus throwing out a few things? Maybe putting some filtering software on your devices. Maybe putting a Bible on your desk where you'll see it and, and open it and read it. Maybe even putting a picture of himself on your desk or on the wall. Because when we focus our eyes upon Jesus everything else begins to fade away. What if we viewed all of our decisions, our jobs, our, our daily business decisions as acts of worship to God? Because that's exactly the way Jesus looks at them. Colossians 3:23 says, "Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord, rather than for people." So next you take Jesus to one of my favorite rooms, the kitchen. The kitchen is a great place, isn't it? It's where people often gather together, families gather there, maybe around the island. I know whenever we have company over to our house, it always seems like we all end up gathered in the kitchen. Maybe it's because that's where the food is. (laughs) Maybe that's because that's where the beverages are. But fun things happen in the kitchen. The kitchen represents our appetites, doesn't it? It represents our desires. It's often one of the bigger rooms in the house in most um, homes today. The things we consume become pretty apparent in the kitchen. After all, we are what we eat, right? And maybe we eat a little bit too much, I don't know. Jesus asks, what's for dinner? And you tell him, oh, some of my favorite pastimes, some of my priorities, success, promotion at work, looking younger, losing a few pounds, getting fit, being popular, And you begin to chow down, and this food tastes pretty good, doesn't it? You're enjoying it so much that you barely notice that Jesus isn't eating anything. And you ask, hey, Jesus, where's where's your appetite? This food is really good. You should try some of it. And he says to you, those things aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves. But I have food that you don't know about. You see, my food is to do the will of my Father in heaven. That's what keeps me going. That's why he sent me. That's what I'm about. And when you begin to look at it that way, your food, your priorities begin to look a lot different. So you decide to try some of Jesus' cooking. And you discover what a difference there is. Instead of striving for your own ambitions, you're making Jesus' will your priority. And you find that there's nothing tastier in all this world than doing the will of God. Because it's like you were created for this very nourishment. That old stuff just left you hungry a little while later, but this food that Jesus offers really fills you up and so you decide to keep going because you're on a tour with the guest who's the king and you take him into your living room your living room where everything is quiet and welcoming it's the place where you love to hang out and take it easy where you spend time with friends and jesus eyes light up when he comes into the room and he says i love this place I'd love to spend time with you right here. It's peaceful. It's quiet. We can talk together. We can talk alone together. How would you like to meet me here every morning when you first get up? And you think to yourself, what an offer. The Son of God wants to meet with me wants to spend time with me. And you tell him, yeah, Jesus, I would love to do just that. And so every morning you get up together and you open your Bible together and you read a little bit and you discuss what's coming up in the day and and the help that you're gonna need and you share your heart with Jesus and Jesus shares his heart with you and it's such a privilege to have this time alone with the summit son of God but some days pass by some weeks go by and pretty soon life begins to get a little busier again maybe you stayed up a little bit too late the night before and you're late coming down To meet with Jesus or maybe you've got a breakfast meeting or a big day at work and so you tell Jesus hey I have to leave a little bit early today and pretty soon you're cutting that time short and and then maybe you miss a day and then another day and then a week has maybe gone by and one day as you're hurrying out the front door you look into the living room and there sits Jesus and you say have you been here every morning and he says of course I have. I long to be with you. And you say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to leave you hanging there, but it's been so busy. And Jesus says, the problem is that you've been thinking of our time together as simply a means to your own spiritual growth. And yes, that's true, but you've forgotten that this time means something to me as well. I love you. I want to spend time with you, my son, my daughter. Next, Jesus asked to see your garage or your workroom or your craft space, the the place where you do your projects. And it's all neat and tidy and organized because, frankly, you don't use it very often. There may be one or two half-done projects sitting on the bench there. And Jesus says, you've got some great-looking tools there, some great-looking hobbies there, some great-looking resources there. What are you building? What are you making? What are you doing to build God's kingdom? And it's not like Jesus was trying to put you to shame or anything, but you find yourself kind of feeling that way for a lack of skills, for a lack of finished projects. And you say, Lord, I haven't been spending very much time here, and my skills, frankly, have gotten kind of rusty And Jesus says, don't be ashamed, let me help. Because remember, apart from me, you can do nothing but rest in me and let me guide you. And so you pick up your tools and you begin to work. And Jesus places his gentle hands on yours, guiding you with such skill, with such craftsmanship. Work for you has never felt so good. It's never been so natural, so enjoyable, and the outcome has never been so good. Don't be discouraged because you can't do a lot for God right now because, after all, it's not through your own striving anyway. It's about God's strength. It's not about your lack of knowledge. It's about his wisdom shining through you. His wisdom is always made perfect in our weakness. And when you see people, when people see what you produce, they'll know that it was God working through you. And they'll praise God. Your work is an act of worship. And you complete the house tour by taking Jesus down to the rec room. Now before you met Jesus, you had some forms of entertainment that you would have rather Jesus not see. But since you've invited Jesus into this space, he transformed all of it. He brought new friends, new fun, new joy, new laughter that you never knew existed. Jesus looked at you with a twinkle in his eye and he said, Have you never thought about me being the one that created fun? I created laughter. I created you for that. And one day, it all came true. And so you've shown Jesus the whole house, at least every part that you wanted him to see. But one day when you were spending time with Jesus, he said, hey, what's that smell? And you acted like you didn't smell it too, but you knew that you did. And coming from a small hallway closet, Down at the end of the basement hall. There it was. The door that you kept locked. Jesus attempted to open it. But it was locked. And that was no accident. That was where you stored your deepest hurts. Your deepest pains. Your deepest regrets. That's where you tried to stuff away that thing that someone did to you. Or maybe that thing that you did to someone else where you didn't have to think about it, where you didn't have to look at it. You opened that door as rarely as possible. But Jesus looked at you and he said, something is dead in there. Give me the key and let's open that door. And you felt kind of mad at first. I mean, you'd given Jesus access to your whole house. Why does he insist on opening that closet. But you decided to hand Jesus the key and as you put it into his hand, he opened that door. You knew that that closet had stunk for a long time. Maybe you even thought you had it all under control but you didn't. And so you give Jesus the key And you think to yourself, you know, he's improved every other part of me. Maybe I should trust him with this. And you give him the key. And you let Jesus do what only Jesus can do. And he takes those hurts and those pains, those regrets, those things that you would rather not think about. And he takes the burden on himself. And he sweeps it clean. And he covers it with his goodness and his kindness and his grace and his mercy. And suddenly it doesn't stink anymore. There's a fresh smell because you've been made new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old has gone A new life has begun. You see, our home becomes something incredible when we invite Jesus across the threshold. And it becomes better and better as we give him access to every room, even those dark places that we'd rather not give to him. And that's what Jesus does when we invite him into our home. He cleans us up, and he makes us more like him. I want to offer a time that we can pray together today. If you've never invited Jesus into your home for the first time, won't you invite him across that threshold? Let him become Lord of your life and invite him into your heart. And if you have and you've been holding on to some parts that you'd rather he not see or that you're not super happy about, then let him clean those places up too. As the band comes forward and we have our final song today, we've got kneelers up here at the front, you might want to come forward and pray. You can also say where you're seated and pray. But won't you join me as we pray together now? Lord Jesus, we invite you into our lives, into our homes, God, into our hearts. Jesus, come and make us new. Do what only you can do. Lord, there are some there are times that I've been running from you and I haven't made you the Lord of my life. And we invite you in right now, Lord. I invite you in to be my Lord. Cross that threshold and make me right with you by your life, death, and resurrection, by the blood that you shed on the cross. Take my sin upon you and wash me whiter than snow, for I want to live for you, Jesus. And Jesus, for all those places that you have already cleaned up in my life, I give you thanks and honor and praise. You are such a good and loving and kind God. And for those places, God, where I have failed to let you in, where I'm trying to stuff it in the closet where no one will see it, and yet I know that that's not working, God, help me to give you the key to every room in my heart. Come and clean up my life Make me whiter than snow. Make me a pure and holy reflection of you so that when people see me, they see you. We pray in your wonderful name. Amen.